The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We're dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Scrum.org. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast. I'm your host, Leslie Morse, and in today's episode, you get to meet Emily Lent. She is joining the Women in Agile podcast team as a new host, and I'm excited that you'll get to learn a little more about her and her career journey as she shifted towards individuals and interactions from processes and tools. Emily is a business agility coach and founder of Lent Agility Services. She has four years of experience coaching Scrum, Kanban, and Safe Implementations, but with nearly 10 years of experience in information technology, Agile coaching is just one of the many talents Emily brings to her clients and teams. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as you get to know Emily just as I did, and thanks for listening. Hello, Emily. How are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm well. Thanks so much for joining me for this discussion. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for inviting me. You are welcome. You're welcome. Uh, I, as always, am going to start off with the regular opening question that we ask all of our guests, which is, how did you find Agile? I think it's a really great way to help sort of ground everybody in the conversation, learn a little bit more about you. And um I just always think these stories are fascinating. So tell us a little bit. How did Agile find you or how did you find it? Yeah. Um, well, so when I got out of uh, when I was in college and then a little bit after college, um, I was doing requirements engineering for um, the uh, university online system for the University of Montana. That's where I went to went to college. And so that's kind of how I found like tech and stuff because that's how I started in like the the software business and the tech business um, was doing that. Um, and then I transitioned to uh, more of a lead technician role in in other places. And my first uh, interaction with process management in particular was with ITIL. So I was a request fulfillment manager, and that was when I got my first process certification in ITIL, and I got to learn all about change management and request fulfillment and how project management rolls into all of that. And I really loved, I really loved processes, and I really loved making things more effective, more efficient, and walking through process. Deductive reasoning is very near and dear to my heart. <laughs> And so helping people work more effectively, be more efficient, um, work faster was really important to me. And that was when I transit. I moved down to New Mexico. Um, I took a job at Sandia National Laboratories actually as an analyst. But then I realized that they actually wanted me to be a project coordinator. Uh, and so that was my first project coordinator role, transition to a project manager. And I wasn't like they had ITIL. But then they had this new thing called Agile, and they had Scrum teams and Kanban teams, and they were like, we need you to just do the project management stuff on the side. Like, don't interrupt the, the, the Scrum teams and don't interrupt the Kanban teams, but we still need to check all these government boxes, right? Um, and so and I found that relationship and that to be a little odd to me <laughs> to how that setup was going. Um, 
And, but I learned so much in being a part of these scrum teams and kind of sitting on the sidelines is like almost the one who's like, but make sure you get this release review in <laughs> because we need that. Um, and then uh, when I started doing that for a, a few months, uh, I got introduced to the concept of safe scaled agile. And they said, well, you know, Emily, you're a, you're a project manager, you know, we're thinking about having RTEs, release train engineers, chief scrum masters. And so we, and we think that you would be a perfect fit for that. So we're going to send you uh, to training to do that. And I was like, fantastic. That sounds amazing. And I think one of the things that drew me to that role in particular was they were like, so <clears throat> you know how you're kind of like on the sideline of teams? Yeah, we want you to be leading teams and we want you to be leading teams but not as a manager. And I was like, that sounds perfect. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds fantastic. I like that. So uh, that's really why I came into that space. And I pretty much started just drinking from the fire hose right then and there. (laughs) Yeah. Just listening to you talk about this, Emily, and that sort of process background. And and I, I, I hear some of me in this story around like discovering these things. And it's like the ability to kind of geek out in that space and how to make things Right. In our eyes, probably like better for everybody because it's more structured and more organized and it's reliable processes and we know how we're going to do things and all of that. And then I think about the agile value around like you know, individuals and interactions over processes and tools. Yeah. And what we're going to learn from you today is right how you kind of make that transition from project management into right a, a scrum master, leader of people, RTE type role. Um and, and how that, that transition works. So I'm so curious to hear more from you on that, moving into individuals and interactions over processes and tools and what that transition was like for you. So um, before we get there, though. Yeah, no, that's a really um, good note. I'm thinking about how I'd, how I'd kind of make that connection because that's a, that's a really good note to make because um, it definitely was a part of that transition. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. And you alluded to this, um, this other thing that I want to touch on with you uh, when we were prepping for today's call and talking about, you know, historically as women, we are often over relied on in terms of helping others. And sometimes we help others to a detriment of ourselves. And so when you think about your career as a a woman in tech, right, women in agile, what have you experienced as well as observed about, you know, gender equality or gender imbalance or equality and inclusion in general um, as an agile practitioner? Yeah, that's a that's a big topic. <laughs> it is. It is. Because <laughs> um, I, I, especially when when I transitioned, so I did actually in in the other and uh, the other roles that I had, I was one of the only women in the office, um, and I was the only technical woman in the office more than more than likely, and. And that was hard and that would be really, really tough. And I had to face a lot of adversity. And I mean, I've gone to the the Agile conferences and safe conferences and listened to, you know, individuals in Agile uh, go, yeah, you know, feminism, feminism's over now and we don't, we don't have any issues. And I'm like, 
mm, like <laughs> um <laughs> just because certain individual like you know their their bosses are females now you know and things like that not thinking about this this whole system and in, in the in the past that they had to i always ask them i'm like do you know what she had to go through to get to where she is today have you asked because i don't know if you would be saying that if, if you asked um yeah. But when talking about Agile specifically, and one of the reasons why I personally feel like Agile is so key to achieving diversity and inclusion in your workplace is that it allows people to talk to each other from a framework of not hierarchy, but uh, personal responsibility and um where everyone has a shared leadership model. When you have that shared leadership model and decentralized decision-making, you're able to talk to each other from the guise of already achieving the respect of being there. Um, And I feel like that would have been so central earlier in my career to maybe not have have experienced as much... um, I'm trying to like get the thought as much um, adversity yeah. uh, in, in being one of the only females in the office. Um, like I remember <clears throat> one example of this is that, you know, in our retrospectives, right? So we have regular retrospectives and uh, in my teams and at one retrospective, I raised my hand and I went, so um, why is there only one female bathroom but there's two male bathrooms because the female bathroom is also a male bathroom. And they were like, wait, what? <laughs> like the rest of my team was like, we never knew that before. And I was like, yeah, like I've even been told that I can use the male restroom, like the one that just says male restroom. But I get really weird comments and looks whenever I go in and out of there. So why don't we just make them both like all gendered? bathrooms and that was that was something that I could raise in a retrospective I didn't have to wait for a manager meeting I didn't have to talk to the manager's manager's meeting I didn't have to figure out who was in facilities it was something that I raised and then a whole group of people went yeah that's kind of (laughs) silly that it's that way but we never knew that because that wasn't a part of their perspective that was not wow. something that they noticed, that in a whole building, there was actually only one female bathroom. It's, um, it's amazing how still today, right? It's, tw- I was about to say it's 2020. It is not 2020. It is 2022. <laughs> what did the last two years? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows where the last two years went? <laughs> but that, you know, people, women, still right somewhat early in their overall career trajectory have stories like that to tell it is just baffling to me yeah and it's and it's more more likely than not that there's that there's people and i think it depends on oh my my computer okay sorry (laughs) (laughs) right we cut that out um like my um what was it and I think it also depends on where where you're at and the type of support that you get throughout these roles in particular, but throughout your your technology career as in a male dominated industry uh, a lot of times, and then 
you know, taking not only that, but then you add leadership and then you add agile leadership onto it. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes a little bit more finite, a little bit more male dominated. And then you just kind of go back from there. Um, And so evaluating that, I mean, even right now, I'm uh, the only female on my team, you know, that's just kind of, yeah, there was even, it was, there was a joke that was made because I'm from nerding communities as well. I do live action role-playing. And so um, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm traveling Seattle. There's going to be like um, seven guys with me. We're going to go and and fight people in Seattle. And one of the um, fellow uh, coaches was like, oh, so you're used to this ratio. (laughs) And I was like, unfortunately, (laughs) unfortunately, I am. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's the sometimes it almost feels awkward when we enter spaces that have women as a majority. Cause it's like, I feel a little short circuited. <laughs> like how do I actually show up and engage in that? It's um, it's different. And that's one of the things I love about the women in agile community. Like it helps bring us all together and, and learn from each other and talk about these struggles and all of thing, all these things as we move into yeah. your story and your guidance for people that are going through career transitions from kind of project management into more agile roles how much would you say we're going to hear an undertone of this? And I was the only woman, like how much do you think that actually shaped your journey? Man, that's a, that's a good question. Well, I think, I think it was important for me because I feel like most people in there are not most people. I don't want to generalize, but for my career specifically, I could have either been, I had this like divide at one point in time, in my career where I was like, I could decide to be, a senior technician, or I could decide to be a project manager and kind of go up the project or the project management director level. And I almost feel like women are forced to make the decision for the project management manager, director, things like that, instead of senior technician. There's so many more resources for women to kind of get to that middle management and honestly get stuck in it a lot of times. Um, because we're the people people, you know, and we, we, you know, there's this uh, thought that that's where we fit because we, we have a brain for networking people um, instead of senior technician. And so I almost, I, I had an element where I found out I actually really liked process stuff. I really liked project management. I liked leading people and I almost felt sad for myself that I didn't go down that senior technician path because like, oh no, I'm one of those women that came into tech and then went to project management, you know? And, and so I feel like to kind of give compassion to yourself and kind of go back to your question of like how much we're going to hear that is that, you know, whether you're transitioning to whatever roles that you're going to transition to, whether you go forward and then come back to project management around, you know, basing that on the things that make you truly happy in your lives and not necessarily judging your journey based on the overall representation of women, because it's, it's your journey and that's, what's most important to you. And, you know, and I've, I've had people who've left the tech industry because of how male dominated it is and how hard it can be for women in this industry. Um, and, and it's important to not, not judge that journey either. 
if you decide that maybe this isn't for you and it's not progressing you against your goals and you're not getting the support that you need, that that's completely fine. And it's all about finding your own purpose uh, in your career and in your life. I love that. I love that. And what a perfect stage for you to really just tell us your story, right? You, you lived in some ways, the classic transition, you know, I'm a project manager. Now I'm being told I'm going to become a scrum master. Um, and it wasn't just, you know, like, you know, Oh, you get to be a scrum master of a team or two. It's like, Oh, how about let's go straight yeah, into skipped. a scaled environment <laughs> and have an entire release train that you've got to provide servant leadership for and help bring forward the effectiveness and uh, that in value that Agile has to offer. So what was that like for you? Yeah, I, I think adding in that I was uh, 24 <laughs> when that happened too. So, um, you know, I, I basically skipped over those levels and went straight from, um, and then I had to go back. <laughs> it was pretty fun where, so I, I, I was working with this one team, maybe two. And then when I was a project manager, they had three and then they were like, okay, great. So she can manage the projects for three. Now let's bring her into this RTE ship and let's have her, um, they actually, I think one of the best parts about this. One of the things that I definitely um, I think helped me a lot is that they didn't necessarily bring me into an RTE ship or release train engineer, like right out of the gate, as far as like leading my own agile release train, I co-led with somebody that had a lot more industry experience. And so to be fair, she kind of had me like very close to the hip on like, Emily, we know that you're driven. We know that you want to tackle stuff. And, and I'm one of those people that I will, um, you know, access as much as you give me access to. <laughs> so um, if you give me access to the C-suite, I'm going to talk to the C-suite. Like that's, that's kind of just the person that I am. And uh, they were like, all right, Emily, but you don't, you don't quite know how yet. So <laughs> we're going to keep you back here and I'll, I'll help you through this process. And her, she, her name was Betty Roush. She's since retired from uh, Sandia National Laboratories, but it was really, it was really important for me to partner with her. And then Dana Grisham was the other individual, a lot of experience. Um, and speaking about being in one of the only women and then leading with three with a lot of industry experience uh, was really paramount to uh, taking me in the next direction, not only in this role, but as a, a female in this role is being able to see other strong females uh, guide the process. How fortunate for you. Cause so many of us, as we were coming up in our careers were mentored in modeling the behaviors of men leaders in our life that maybe tainted our ability to be our authentic selves as leaders because we didn't experience feminine aspects and feminine qualities of leadership within corporate organizations. Um, so the fact that you had that as something that allowed you to become the person you are today, like kudos to you, <laughs> the universe lined up in your favor then. Yeah, no, it did. Um, and I think it was important to, to kind of call out Sandia National Laboratories in this because I feel like it was one of the first environments that I was at where I saw a lot of female architects and female engineers and, 
you know, female leaders, you know, my senior manager was a female. And I was like, that's the first because it was always like kind of the supervisor, you know, was a mm-hmm. female, but then everybody above the supervisor was a male. And maybe you'd get like one, you know, female in like the, the higher echelons, but you know, and it, there was also, I, one of the things that I think was very important for me, and this is going to sound a little weird, but is that, um, the women were allowed to wear whatever they wanted. And that was something I never experienced that you could bring your authentic self to work because that's essentially what it is. Um, when I was working with Dana Grisham, she would wear these really nice A-line dresses and I'm a dresses and skirts and cute flowers person. And I, I was like at that point in my life where I was like, I don't care if the men in the office make fun of me, I'm going to look the way that I want to look. Um, and to see her and to see other, um, like I used to talk to Vanessa Kuka from, uh, was a manager at Sandia and she would wear these like really nice necklaces and pretty stuff and wear leggings to work, which like was not allowed in most of the other places that I worked was women wearing leggings. Cause it was like, well, you know, it shows too much of your legs. And I'm like, they're fully covered. <laughs> what you're talking about here. <laughs> You know, and being able to, that was just like one representation of women not only being leaders, but being able to be themselves as leaders and not have to follow this traditional male dominated structure of like how to bring themselves into work. Yeah. Yeah. That's so great. What would you say you learned from all of this? Like what wisdom is it you're carrying forward like, I, I'm not sure as though I think of it as like, what advice would you give to other people that might be going <laughs> through or embarking on these transitions? Or it's say, what would you tell younger Emily, you know, <laughs> sort of thing? Because you might frame it a little bit different. But I think what what did you learn around all of this that feels important and resonant for you? Oh, man. You're asking all these like really big <laughs> questions. <laughs> Um, it's almost like you do this. (laughs) Um, but, um, let's see. I think, I think a lot of the, the thing that helped me in this role and in my career right now was, um, that, that statement of bringing your whole self to work, um, and being vulnerable in that um, with what's safe to you, you know, like there's, there's elements of myself that I won't bring to work, you know, um, but then the ways that you are able to show up, lean in and bring your whole self in a way that feels authentic and genuine to the people that you're, you're with will just take you so far um, in your career um, in a way that it'll show you the people who are inauthentic and genuine and probably not the best people to help move your career <clears throat> forward if they're not helping to support that. And then the people that will be there for you and will support you uh, and will probably be some lifelong friends that you might have um, within your career and in your life. Um, creating, especially now that we're working from home and work life is so intermingled now it can feel so isolating to not be vulnerable and not to be authentic with the people that you're working with yeah yeah and it's 
it's almost we forget how to be our full self because we only experience each other in 2D. Yeah. Yeah. It's we don't, like, it's I don't like think a, that there's something behind your camera or like. What yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, completely. Yeah. It's so. very different. The um, When we think about going from more traditional, very process, project management oriented sort of roles into more servant leadership roles that are cultivating environments where agile teams can be successful, right? We know we want agile teams to be Mm self-managing. So as you think about the importance of that, how did that shift play into your own transition? And did that ability to be totally authentic as you help allow for that self-management to be cultivated within teams? Like, Share some of your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, um, and I think, can you restate the question again? Because I think there was like a few parts and I want to make sure that I get through all of them. Yeah. It's really, it's about like, I'm I'm thinking about how the transition from being a project manager to being more of an agile leader, right? Whether it be Mm -hmm. RTE, Scrum Master, whatever that is, but having to bring forward those agile leadership qualities. We've got to cultivate self-management, which is often not present in traditional PM. So as you were cultivating self-management and learning how to do that, did your authenticity serve you in there? Or was that a shift you also had to make yourself? Yeah. Um, I think it was definitely, I think it was definitely a shift. Um, but it was a shift in terms of like, when you're a project manager, you know everything, right? Like, or you're supposed to say that it's supposed to sound like, you know, everything, you know where to go, you know who to talk to. Or if you don't know, you're like, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of that too. I'll take care of this. I remember after my project management meetings where I had just a list of action items and I was like, I felt so accomplished in that. I was like, look at me, you know, (laughs) taking on the world, even though I'd only been there like at India for like a month. And I had no idea who to talk to or like where to go for these things. But I was like, I'm a figure it out because I'm a project manager. Um, and But then like over time, you start to feel like just this burden of mm. just everyone else's problems and the organization's problems. And you don't and then you slowly start to be able to not be able to prioritize, not be able to understand where things are moving. And then you're just kind of I um, I've heard management call it like firefighting mode where you're just, you're just hitting off the, the action list and you're not thinking about, well, actually I've had to do this, this one task over and over and over again. Maybe I should go to that department and be like, why do I keep having to do this yeah. when it's always the same answer every time? Like, why do I keep having to fill out this report? Why do I keep having to do this? Why don't you guys download this instead of like me having, you know, you just, you can't, start to remove that. And a lot of times it's undervalued for project managers to do that, to take off some of their load because like, well, you know, now you're not doing your full role. And it's like, there's so much more that we could be doing. And so when moving, when showing that authentic self, I think one of the, the heavy hitters is, um, in uh, emotional intelligence. And I'll, I'll explain why I think that is because, Emotional intelligence goes in a variety of steps. The first being Mm self-awareness. Where are you at? 
how are you overburdened? How are you overwhelmed? And then it goes to self-management. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) And how can you shift it? And when you start to, I feel like one of the things in Agile that starts to open up the curtains, because again, as a project manager, I couldn't, I couldn't let people know that like, Hey, look, my task list is insane. (laughs) Why am I having to do all this? Instead, you open up the curtain and you go into your retrospectives or you talk in your daily standups and you're like, Hey, look, man, guys, I got like 50 meetings today. I cannot chase down X, Y, and Z. Can you guys talk to them, please? (laughs) And then they start to like be able to go and manage themselves or we get to have those conversations or, um, and I have one example where um, I had an individual that, and when talking about diversity and inclusion, that had a mood disorder and it was every day I was almost feeling like we had to manage ourselves around this individual and then that came up in a retrospective of like, hey, you know, all the team doesn't really know when we're coming in each day where you're going to be at. And, he, and, and this individual is like, oh, I didn't know that was impacting you guys. And that was a conversation that probably would have never happened before. And we started to create this um, this point of having up days and down days. And that would help us to work together. And then it allowed everybody else on the team to have up days and down days where it wasn't just this individual. It was everybody. And then we were able to self-manage ourselves Mm -hmm. and come in as our full selves that day, whether it was an up day or a down day, and then be able to do, do really interact with each other authentically. Yeah, there's something that I think is so important about that because it's like it's the pressure. And and I think we live it to an extreme now that we're just always sort of on video. It's like yeah. I've always got to be on. Um, and the yeah, pressure and to always be on. And you don't. Yes. <laughs> and you don't. Period. <laughs> Hard stop. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think especially as I, you know, just to key in on that, I feel like, again, talking about women, especially as women, we feel like we have to manage the task list. We have to know what everybody's doing. We have to be available, be there, be present. And it's like, no, you're a person and you're allowed to be a person. And so say, hey, guys, you know, I'm I'm having a hard focus day or I'm actually like I need to do some things while we're in these meetings today. I'm still here. But like, I'm going to take my camera off, you know, and once you, I think as, you know, we, as project managers and as women, sometimes we can feel that guilt Mm -hmm. for being ourselves and for self-managing it openly. Um, But it also just think about how much room it would give everyone else if we did that. Yeah. I'm thinking about a quote that I I heard or a phrase that I heard from Jenny Tarwater, who's one of the program directors in uh, Women in Agile for our Launching New Voices program. She said to me, uh, I can do anything. I cannot do everything. I like that. And I like I wrote it on a sticky note. It's still on my desk. And it's sort of strange because it's kind of like when you get a new car and then you see that car everywhere. (laughs) <laughs> she told me that phrase. I wrote it down on this sticky note and I'm seeing this phrase show up all these places, but it's like, it's such a wonderful sort of mantra for what it is you're talking about is right. As women, we can freaking do anything we want to do, 
but yeah. we can't do all the things all the time. <laughs> yeah. And we shouldn't like, I, I'm, I'm working with some current project managers now and you know, they're like, Oh, well, who's going to do this? And, and what, you know, we can, we can do, we, I can do all of those things still. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's almost like a sense of pride sometimes in yes. almost getting to that burnout place yeah. of helping people. Yeah, and, the badge of honor. I'm on 12 projects. Yeah, I'm on 12 I'm projects. I'm part of 15 now. teams. <laughs> and I'm like, good lord. And I've I've had discussions with people because I'm a huge proponent of work life balance. And like once it hits five, I'm not gonna I had I had a, a few people um when I was when I was a project manager be like, Well, if you need me, you know, I'm gonna be on a train, but like you can call me and stuff like that. And I'm like, I guarantee HR does not need their reports that badly. If like the <laughs> even if the whole system melts, I'm not going to call you. I'm going to, I'm going to make a pledge right now. I'm not going to call you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so great. And, and, and it's easy because we've often grown up in organizations that reward doing all the things. Yeah. It's one of the challenges or shadow sides of going through a transition from more traditional project management to an RTE or Scrum Master role in that establishing the habits in those new ways of working and not drifting back to the, the things that felt safe and normal from prior work lives, right. I guess you could say. So how, how have you navigated that tension of moving into agile ways and, and resisting that urge to drift backwards. Yeah. Um, cause I think it's one of the, like, one of the, like the negative change going from project management to, you know, scrum master, RT, agile leader is that, you know, a lot of times they put us into training, right. And then, all right, you're trained. Cool. 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 Uh, now you're doing this whole new role. Um, figure it out. And there's gaps, there's things that still need to be done that you're not quite sure. And now you're in this new role, but it's not, but it's very different from your title more than likely. And so you're like, how do I manage between the two of these? And one of the things that was it so essential to me was that support, um, whether through agile coaches, kind of helping me through these roles and responsibilities, um, but also support with other people in that role. Um, and that's why it was so beneficial that I had three, uh, two other very strong women helping me through the process. And then I had um, the Agile Project Management Office was actually, you know, not just like a project management office that put Agile in front of it. There were like two, two really amazing um, Agilists, Kathy Aragon and Alfred Lorber, um, that really helped me in the process and allowed me to both like touch like overall, how is agile being implemented at Sandia and how can I influence that? But then how do I implement it here um, and, and do this new role and do this new role successfully. So um, one of the things that is going to be really important is getting that support. And then for me, like if you are transitioning into this new role or you have individuals in your organization transitioning this role, be patient. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it is a total, it's a total shift. We yeah. think that because the skill sets are very similar, you're working with people, you're organizing teams, you're understanding the flow of work and products, you're managing risks and dependencies. Oh yeah, that's a project manager, you know, stamp of approval. 
it's very, <laughs> those are just some of the shared skill sets, but then there's this whole other element of servant leadership and coaching and facilitation in like a completely different way. So being patient and understanding that it's going to transition and you're going to go back and forth. I think one of the favorite things that I have from Lisa Adkins is the command and control monster. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I have, I have one, I have a command and control monster. And sometimes when things get really stressful or really crazy, it'll come out, yes. you know, and I, you know, you can certainly one of the, one of the roles of being a, an agile leader is being a problem solver. But I like to be like, okay, so if you're looking at a pie of roles, this is like the tiniest, <laughs> the tiniest little role is like when things are, cannot be solved any other way. Let's solve the problem. But then let's evaluate why did I need to solve that problem? <laughs> you know, instead of the other people on on this agile release train or in this team. Um, and, um, and then remembering, okay, if I'm, whether it's a problem solver monster, whether it's command and control, recognizing those behaviors and being able to go, oh, that, that I'm doing that now. Okay. Let's try to ease that back less and less being a command and control. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, the, the poem about being a fixer and the difference between like when you fix things for people and you solve the problems for people, how it actually is. Um, it almost is holding them in a light that you don't believe they can do it for themselves. Yeah. Right. And that that desire to go fix for it. Yeah. Yeah. Scrum mom. That's a perfect way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Cause I think there's definitely, I I just want to like pinnacle on that because like it, when we're talking about a sense of pride, there are a good amount of scrum moms that have a sense of pride about it because they're like, I protect my team. I nurture Mm -hmm. my team. My team doesn't have to worry about it anything but development and stuff like that. And then I'm like, but how does, how does that advance them forward? You know, how does that change them for the better or achieve better um, in their career? You know, being uncomfortable, just like when you're a mom, allowing your children to be uncomfortable. Not that I am a mother, I am a dog mom, but allowing them to be a little uncomfortable allows them to grow and to change and to shift into being their more authentic self. Yeah. Yep. As well as be resilient and self-sustaining in your absence. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you do bring that mother mentality forward, right. As, as someone raising a child, like your goal is to help create an environment where they can launch into the world as an independent, independent human being that has their own life. And the same should be true in that scrum master role, like how can they be an independent, self-sustaining value delivery unit, right? Together without me, because they are so self-managing. Yeah. And that's why like people will will come in and be like, well, then why, why do you need a scrum master if it's all self-managing or like, and then scrum masters, especially transitioning from a project management role where you have so much purpose, so high, you're, you're the leader of everything to then going into this coaching role can seem like a, like a downgrade, but you're, the way that I like to think about it is that you're, you're on a much higher goal than, than before you're managing projects you're managing units of work that'll then go out the door and then you'll continuously move on to other things versus working with a team and embodying servant leadership is you're not only helping with the development of a product and the flow of work but you're helping to build people 
and mm-hmm. build yourself and change a culture, which yeah. over time, I feel like makes far more of an impact on people and on the products and on the organizations that you're in than just cranking out projects. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. It, in fact, it kind of, and as we go to wrap up, I think you know, you've given us a perfect segue here because you were kind of talking about like transitioning from that need to be all knowing and all doing to mm-hmm. something that is other than that. So um, how, how do you want to kind of put a cap on recommendations and insights from your own transition that might serve our listeners today? Um, yeah. So you, so you took the, you know, so when you're transitioning to this new role and where you're moving from, you know, leading an organization to coaching or organizations or leading projects to, to coaching products, um, you know, taking off the burden of being all knowing from yourself, just, just take that off, lift it up, take it off your shoulders and then taking off the burden of being all doing from yourself. I love, what was the phrase that you use? I can be anything, but not yeah. everything. I, yeah, I can do anything. <laughs> I cannot do everything. <laughs> yeah. Like, and let let mistakes happen. Let them fall because it allows your whole team and your whole culture to learn. And then one, one other thing is to really engage in this new way of working. Um, take an active participating role in it because now that you've taken, and that's why I do it as the third part, because you've taken all that off, take, take, take all of that off uh, of yourself, take that burden out and then engage in the new do. One of my things I tell new scrum masters and new chief scrum masters, it's 25% of your job. Try to figure out how to change something. Try to figure out a new way of facilitating a meeting, add in a retrospective, try something new, investigate these new ways of working. That um, is so important. <laughs> I think Emily, cause I know I want to, I want to slow you down just for a yeah, second. No. The very first line of the agile manifesto is we are uncovering new ways. And I think so often we find ourselves as agilists, like everybody's figured out how to do agile. Well, we just have to do it by this playbook. When no, a core tenant of agility is that investment in learning and uncovering and trying out new ways. And unless we are incredibly intentional about setting aside time and actually trying something different, we won't uncover new ways. Yeah. And you, I remember I've talked to so many people about like, they're like, oh, where's the, where's our playbook or where is our implementation playbook? How are we actually implementing? What are the standards and things like that, that we have and standards and standard practices are all well and good. um, But there has to be this room for innovation Mm -hmm. that you have within yourself and within your team, because not everything's going to work for every individual and to have fun with it. I, I love um, Luke Holman's, you know, like innovation games and playing games with with people and bringing that into work. And I've you get I've gotten the eye rolls and everything like yes. I did a cereal box activity with a bunch of project managers that are that are product managers that have been doing this for a long time. And they were like, Oh my God, we're having to create cereal boxes. Like what is this crazy agilist lady doing in our office right now? (laughs) And it wasn't until we did that, that we realized that the system architect, the manager and one of the product managers had 
three completely different visions for the product. And it honestly frustrated the manager because the manager was like, I thought I told you guys this. Like I sent you guys all this information, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, let's take it. Let's take back the blame a little bit and let's go from where we are. And that started us off on a way better place. And I didn't get eye rolls, at least from a couple of those folks, whenever I tried to do another agile game, because they're like, well, that was, that was eye-opening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shared documentation does not guarantee shared understanding. Yeah, very, very true. Yeah. And we just, yeah. we needed to get outside of our comfort zone and outside of our requirements documentation to go, okay, what are we actually building? Then we realized, well... Apparently, we are all building different things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. So I heard three things from you, right? Taking off that burden of being all-knowing, taking off that burden of being all-doing, right? Holding yourself accountable for making time to engage in new ways of working, try new things, uncover new ways. Any other recommendations before we wrap up? Yeah. So the last one is be picky, yet compassionate. Um, and what I mean by that is that... Um, you in your new ways of working, going from project management to this scrum master, it's not, you're not going to flip the organization overnight. You know, Mm -hmm. you're not going to flip yourself overnight. And so it's important to consistently ask why or consistently, um, you know, challenge the status quo. Um, I'm sorry. Can I, can we pause for one second? Yeah. My, my, um, uh, neighbors are blasting music really, really loud. Oh, I do not hear any of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I can hear a lot of it, so I'm just gonna. Gotcha. I can't. I can't. I'm gonna get distracted. So give me one second, okay. and then I'll be yep. right back. That's fine. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. That, that was is getting, all right. That was getting very distracting. Okay, so <laughs> so going back to um, the, and I'll try to like string it together. Well, so why don't you just pick up with the last one, picking yeah. it compassionate, and we'll just cut there. We'll just cut there. Okay, great. So um, I think the the next one is be picky yet compassionate. And so when you're transitioning into these new roles, as I said before, it's not going to happen overnight and you're not going to shift your organization overnight. So I think it's important for people in this new role to ask why when they're getting asked to do things that are more in the frame of project management or, uh, you know, not traditionally in that role and going, you know, why, you know, why, why am I having to do this? Um, What is the purpose here? What's the gap that's here? But then being compassionate to the fact that, like, for example, a lot of times the project managers are doing the finances, right? And then that tends to shift to more of a shared model of having individuals, both the product managers and solution managers and the the RTE a bit, you know, kind of work together on it. And so needing to be compassionate that this is new. This is something that not everybody is going to have the skill set to do. And so 
instead of just taking it all on yourself, being compassionate to the needs of other folks and being able to help them learn how to transition yeah. and how to take on some of those responsibilities and some of the newness that they might have. Yeah. I think that's so important for all of us all the time uh, that meeting people where they are yeah. and bringing them along with you. Um, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. yeah it's a, it's so an African it's <laughs> an African proverb uh, that I learned when I was doing uh, coach training. And um, I think that it, it's a, it's a wonderful undertone of what you're talking there about like being picky yet compassionate. Cause what I hear in you, when you talk about picky, it's like, it's about integrity and holding ourselves to mm. standards, right? The best agile teams and agile organizations are highly disciplined and rigorous in how they work, but it is in a compassionate and hum- humane way. It is not in that command and control way. Yeah. Um, so I love that, you know, picky yet compassionate. Yeah. Uh, and and way to me, it's about, yeah, because I think it to me, it's about um, almost taking personal responsibility for it and not yes. going, oh, I have to still do this, but going, I choose to do this because it takes the organization forward um, yeah. in making that conscious choice. If you, ever, if you ever hear yourself going, I need to, I should, I can't, um, you know, kind of more of that something being pushed on you reevaluate why you're doing that and mm-hmm. why that's getting put on you um, versus saying, okay, well, yes, technically that's not part of my new role anymore, but I'm choosing to do this as a way to move the organization forward. And then hopefully, you know, over time, I'm going to help people learn how to do this so that it's no longer equated with my role. Yeah. I love that. That's, that is a, um, that is a perspective on discernment that I think no matter what your current accountabilities are in your organization, that is incredibly important. Understanding why am I doing this and is it in service of moving myself, my team, or my organization to where they need to be? Perfect. Right. Is so, so important. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Emily, thank you for sharing your story, talking about your perspectives and your experience. Um, I really appreciate you spending this time with me. No, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity and I look forward to working with you more um, in the Women in Agile podcast. So this is really fun. Yeah, it's been great. Before I let you go, I always want to inspire listeners with new things they can geek out on. Um, (laughs) So what are you studying where are you focusing your own professional growth right now? What might other people want to go check out? Okay. Uh, yeah. So um, I actually have all these new socials now. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, help, I'm, I have a social media marketing manager that's helping me a lot um, with creating content, working through that. So I do have my website, um, www.lintagility.com. So L-I-N-T agility.com. So you can go there. I have a blog. So it has some of the, some of the things that we've talked about uh, here. You can, you can go into that and give it a read. Um, I also have um, Instagram, uh, Pinterest, Facebook, um, all uh, hashtag or at Lint Agility. Uh, so you guys can follow me on there. I currently do also have a, a little plug, but I have a, a giveaway going right now for a free 
um, one-on-one personal coaching session with me, as well as a $15 gift card for a cup of coffee. Um, so for Starbucks, of course, <laughs> um, I love Starbucks, so I'm always going to uh, tote that. So um, so feel free to uh, follow me on any of those platforms, as well as LinkedIn, and like my post uh, with the giveaway, and you might be able to talk to me one-on-one, and that would be really fun. Very cool. Um, and then what, like, what are you studying to make yourself better right now? Oh man, right now. Um, I'm actually, I'm kind of revisiting a lot of stuff. Cause I, I, I feel like once you read one book and then, you know, you go, oh, okay, and put that to the side. So I'm actually rereading team unity right now. Mm. Um, and art of avoiding a train wreck and Kimball pretty is like my, one of my favorites. <laughs> and I, she I love her. so song. great. Yeah. I met her at a conference once and I, I choked up so bad. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was like, yeah. I and I will get, <laughs> I know. And I will give a shameless plug. We have got an episode in our archive where I talked to M and it is, it was one of the, my favorite episodes that I've ever done. Wow. Um, she is so spectacular. She's a really fantastic human. That was great. Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually rereading that right now um, to kind of, again, just revisit some of those concepts and, you know, replant them. Uh, into what I'm doing here. Yeah. Back to the basics often in the things that have stud that we've studied to get us where we are and those refreshers. I don't think any of us make enough time for that. Um, just the way yeah, we're all about like works. the new, the new stuff, yeah. the new setups and everything. But then going back to like, this really impacted me way early in my career. Yeah. Let's see what I can re what I can learn now or what has changed now that yeah. I've been in these roles. Yeah. For sure. Making the old new again. Yeah. Love it. (laughs) Yes. Awesome. Final wisdom. Any final thoughts, Emily? Uh, (laughs) I feel like we've gone through a lot of it. Let me see. Um, Yeah, I'm like drawing the biggest blank. Um, so I think, okay, for so final thoughts of wisdom um, for people who are new in this role or new in the Scrum Master role is is really community, community mm-hmm. and support in those roles. If you are the only Scrum Master, reach out to a meetup group or try to get more information on this. You know, if you're on safe, doing the safe community boards and things like that, as well as like reaching out to people in your own organization, uh, shared uh, shared knowledge gaining is shared learning and shared mm-hmm. understanding. And it'll just build yourself up. And sometimes just being able to talk to people about, I feel like most of the things that I learned in, in most of the growth in my career has been because I just talk to people and we just work through things together and are able to critically think. Sometimes being a scrum master, especially in a transition, can be isolating. Um, and you're a lot of times imposing the new ways of working or feeling like you're imposing the new ways of working on people. Um, and that can, you can experience a lot of resistance. So having communities of practice, working with other scrum masters or reaching out online, uh, can be really important, uh, when going into these new roles. 
Yeah. And we can't, right. We'd be doing a disservice if we didn't say like connecting with your local women in natural group, right? Yeah. Like women wonderful place group. to do that. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I was just telling somebody about that today, yesterday. Um, she was like, what are the resources that I have, you know, in this new role? And I was like, women in agile. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Emily, thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it uh, so much. And I look forward to collaborating with you more. All right. Great. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Women in Agile podcast. It's brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization.